Welcome to the Working Capitalists. Welcome to the Working Capitalist and our series of conversations with working capital professionals. My name is Brian Shanahan. I'm the founder of Informata and TermsCheck.com. Today's guest is Nicholas Christian from Cashforce. Nicholas, please tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hi, Brian. Uh, well, good, uh, good speaking to you again, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm, my name is Nicola Christian, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Cashforce, a uh, leading cash flow forecasting and working capital analytics software solution for uh, corporates. And Nicholas, thanks for that. I mean, one of the questions I always ask people is what I call uh, your working capital evolution, in that there's no there's no handbook to say this is how working capital is done. And as a result of that, most of us who get involved in this subject have had, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, an interesting path to where we got today. Yeah. Just wondering, what's yours? Yeah, so it's, it's absolutely an interesting question. And uh, how it all started with uh, myself, uh, in 2012, 2011 and 12, actually, um, I was working uh, as a interim manager, uh, let's say, working for the CFO, um, looking at working capital, looking at cash flow um, for several private equity portfolio companies. And what happened during that time is, um, obviously, I got to know the, uh, the perils of private equity, the, uh, the focus really on working capital and cash. Uh, but because we were in an international environment on the one hand side, but on the other hand, sort of, uh, I would call it, um, you know, still still a lot of paper and Excel work uh, environment, we we got to know really the the difficulties in getting all information together from all corners from the world, um, making a good plan to reduce working capital and to forecast cash in an effective way. And sort of during those times, because we saw it was so cumbersome, so manual, we asked ourselves, would this be the same thing in other companies? Um, and when we did sort of the uh, uh, the study and, and asking around, basically, it very much came to us that what we were experiencing was pretty much the same out there as well, not only for private equity-based companies, but as well for public companies and smaller companies. So um, so that's when we, uh, we thought, well, this is interesting. Um, Maybe the exercise of reducing working capital um, and, and forecasting cash that we started sort of to automate for these private equity portfolio companies, maybe that's something we sort of can scale uh, to the outside world. And, and I guess that's literally what then happened in, in the years from 2013 uh, to 2016, trying to build sort of a scalable product that actually would, um, would, would attack working capital and then setting up the company Cash Force. Uh, to actually just you know um, uh, industrialize that process and and bring it to the outside world to help other people actually to reduce working capital. So yeah, the uh, the irony is that we we started from the same angle that we're still in today, but we sort of industrialized uh, a process to improve working capital. And Nicholas, you, you know, you run a software company uh, and a fintech software company at that, yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, uh, from from a working capital perspective, how is that different from, say, a regular industrial company? So it's very different. Um, and if um, if you start from uh, what what I just shared with yourself, sort of as the, the 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 journey to start a company, it's uh, you basically have no cash. So the first thing that we did is 
um, we uh, we set ourselves in the market as consultants um, trying to help other businesses. So we basically were a, a service business ourselves, um, which were basically billing our clients, having you know work in progress um, as a big chunk of our working capital. Um, and then all of a sudden, we uh, obviously needed money to develop our software. And the only, you know, there are different ways to do that, but the, the route we chose was to uh, basically get capital on board, um, venture capital on board. And of course, with venture capital uh, come the, I would say the, the, the pressure or the, at least the, uh, uh, the goals to actually grow fast and as fast as possible. And that means that focus is not necessarily on your positive cash flows. It's more on your reducing, you know, uh, your cash burn uh, as much as possible. But one way or another, you're going to burn cash. So typically after 18, 24 months, you're sort of ready for a new round of funding, as it is called uh, in this industry. And sort of that's the exact pathway we, we run through for the, uh, for the last four or five years. Now, that's one component is making sure you uh, manage cash burn, you manage your, your cash runway, uh, but eventually you're not cash positive yet. So that, that's one component. The other component is the fact that uh, we're a software business, but we also implement our software, which makes actually sure that you also have services revenues. So those two, reve those two revenue streams produce completely different working capital dynamics where the software is built up front and where the service is basically built along the way, but builds each time up some, some work in progress. So that in itself, we basically model in two different, uh, totally do two different ways, uh, but brings its own, call it working capital challenges, because in the end, if you collect money earlier, um, say 30 days earlier, and you do that consistently across the portfolio, it means literally that you have a one month of extra cash uh, available, which is very important in the uh, um, you know the venture capital uh, you know getting money in the door uh, funding uh, exercise. Nicholas, I've just been curious here, just regarding uh, the people who use your software. Uh, I mean, you know that I know from uh, uh, both of our experiences that people who don't have this kind of uh, working capital data very often can spend an awful lot of time just doing the analysis before they ever get to do an anything about actually solving a problem. But but in this crazy year that we live in, uh, you know, have you any observations about how maybe uh, your customers are using the software slightly differently, maybe, uh, or maybe the same in 2020? Yeah. So this this, as you say, uh, Brian, the. <laughs> The, the world has changed uh, quite dramatically in, in just a couple of weeks. And then ultimately, that also changed quite a bit how our organization looked uh, at clients, how our clients basically looked at our software. And just to give a couple of examples, um, a couple of, call it, um, you know, corporates that are very much hit very hard by the pandemic that were in, in talks with, uh, with ourselves, they, they literally had to stop these talks because you know, they had to reorganize, restructure dramatically. So they were basically in a in, in, in a war zone and, and really in firefighting modus, as we would call it. Um, but obviously, these are the extremes, but certainly, uh, you know, important to mention. Then, the, of course, of course, there are the companies that are in some way hit, but they'll, they'll, they'll survive. But the, the way they'll survive depends really on the actions uh, that are taken. And that's where uh, we saw our clients 
taking a couple of different actions. So those that were going through an implementation basically said, we want to now already start using the software. So uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll not implement any nice to has, we'll just uh, uh, take all the, the vanilla stuff and, and immediately start to use it because hash reporting um, has become now crucial. Uh, even more crucial than when we thought we we were buying the software to uh, to do this stuff. So the uh, the cash reporting has become really an instrument that's then used in these cash war rooms. Yeah, and and I'm sure you um you've heard from from your uh, clients the same thing. Cash war rooms trying to get together to say, okay, what's the cash going to be in the next 12 months, 18 months? Um, hopefully, and building different scenarios has been critical. And I think upon that last point, perhaps the building scenarios functionality as, as per se, that obviously became a very, very important part or piece of the puzzle. Um, because if you don't build, uh, uh, if you cannot build any, any scenarios, it's going to be tough in these times of uncertainty, huge uncertainty, uh, not only you know, when COVID struck, but still today. Nicholas, just regarding uh, Cash Force and uh, and your colleagues, yeah, um, you know, everyone went into lockdown and everyone had to work from home. Um, I'm sure that must have been a bit odd for a team of developers who normally all sit together and collaborate uh, very closely with each other. Uh, how how did that work? I guess when you're a small team, um, uh, 35, 40 people um, that typically have a close bond with each other because of the of the journey and, and, and the, the company culture. It is indeed strange to basically announce all of a sudden like, hey, tomorrow uh, we're all gonna work from home. And, um, but it actually happened in just a click. So on, on, as we are a digital company and software company, it basically happened overnight in, in, in less than a couple of hours, everyone uh, worked virtually. Obviously that is also true to the fact that, you know, Cashforce itself um, serves global clients. So we are equipped to basically serve in any time zone, have our systems operating, all of our only internal systems to operating 24 seven. Um, so, so that is the good part, but obviously having people now sitting behind a screen and collaboratively working on software uh, where functional analysts as well as developers now need to not go to a whiteboarding session, physical whiteboarding session, is indeed strange. So it puts strains um, uh, at first, but then people are creative. And, and that's what I like so much uh, about what we're doing here at Cashflows. It just gives a huge boost when you see people getting creative around those things uh, and, and really trying to collaborate in different ways, uh, but then digitally. Nicholas, how, how do you see this panning out for, you know, when we get post pandemic yeah i mean do you find uh, you know you've had a, a lot of your people now uh, got used to working at home and like it and don't want to go back to the office or the other way around yeah that's uh, you know also very interesting question certainly because it if you look at uh, uh, i would say everyone in general everyone that's uh, working today and other, not even cash force you could sort of split them in in different groups some people are are very much afraid of inf you know having the infection and as well infecting other ones uh, in uh, some other beloved ones um, and then you have people basically that say well you know uh, if I have to get it then I'll get it so there, there are different opinions about the actual you know COVID-19 uh, I think virus and 
and what's going on in the world. Now, because of the difference of opinion, you also have different opinions about you know, what's good for me or not good for me in terms of office work. So we basically started with a survey to, our, um, to all of our employees, trying to get a sense of where they are uh, on that scale. And I think as pretty much we suspected, um, there were different opinions throughout the group. Um, and we started to create bubbles, bubbles in which people could uh, actually work if they wanted in the office uh, and stay within these bubbles. Um, but I think uh, scrolling forwards or sort of fast forwarding to today and, and post pandemic, um, people across the world have seen, at least uh, that's what I read and from the studies, has seen a lot of benefits of having at least a couple of days uh, homework. But also people have seen, seen disadvantages of do, doing that full time. So how I look at it from my perspective is, and, and I, I guess I base myself on personal experience, experience from colleagues, but as well some studies, is that two or max three days a week working from home is going to be, become the real new normal. And then the other two or three days, you really need to spend in very productive um, meetings with your colleagues, trying to do really good stuff uh, together. And I would say keeping a basis or sustaining a basis of collaboration um, and, you know, uh, colleagueship uh, together, if uh, you know what I mean. And, and, and Nicholas, just regarding yourself personally, because I know you travel extensively, or, or at least you did uh, before I started. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, in terms of, say, you know, uh, uh, generating sales relationships, marketing events, things like that. I mean, how has how that changed from your perspective? It literally changed dramatically. Um, I would say from one day to another, I didn't travel anymore. So no planes, no cars, no nothing anymore. Um, and it basically had a huge change as well in, in my personal life. Um, obviously, uh, happy to get more family time, uh, more, t more time with my kids. So, you know, um, I couldn't be happier about that particular part. Um, but obviously, if, if, if you now look to the professional side, there is a reason why uh, myself and together with a couple of uh, fellow team members, we need, to, uh, we need to travel and we need to really look people in the eye and, and let them understand benefits and, and costs about what we do about cash flow. So the, and that, of course, is, is, is a, challenging, you know, a challenging thing. And um, there's one movement in which I would say people are getting more used to sitting behind screens as well and, and, and making decisions without even seeing you. But there's always a, you know, another argument that says, you know, trust is created from having people face to face in a room. And then, uh, so, so on the sales side, it, it does, uh, you know, uh, give some challenges, some extra challenges that some hurdles that you need to get beyond. So I still believe that a, a limited face to face time is beneficial. And when you go to the marketing activities, obviously, uh, marketing, uh, let's say, in, in our world is really the, the bigger events, the events where treasury professionals around the world gather. And that, of course, has dramatically changed as well. Uh, all of the different uh, high-level conferences are transformed into virtual events, where in the beginning, webinars were sort of a, you know, a golden opportunity to advertise yourself, but as well to talk to people. Um, it now has become a sort of webinar uh, 
you know, war almost because there's so many webinars around and that they're now ingested into these, uh, um, you know, virtual events. So I think the one thing I find the virtual events super exciting. On the other hand, there are a lot of them. So, and it's not the same experience. You do not meet people physically. However, there is, uh, let's say, a, a positive side. You keep on interacting and there's just a, a new virtual element uh, into it. And I see that basically going on for the foreseeable future um, until uh, we're released from the pandemic. But one thing I'm sure is that as soon as the pandemic sort of um, is, call it over or has stabilized, these events will get back to physical events because there's, jo there's just no other match for um, meeting all these industry professionals face to face. Nicholas, thank you very much for all those insights. Uh, we've now run out of time, but uh, thank you very much for, uh, for being here today. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining us in our series of conversations with working capital professionals. Look for us next time on The Working Capitalist. You have been listening to The Working Capitalists. <laughs>